WMNF Tampa, where we don't test our programming on animals. We know the universe loves good music and the truth. Make a big difference for just a few dollars a month. Join the WMNF Circle of Friends and keep the news and music in perpetual motion. Go to WMNF.org. Thanks. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11 we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today we are talking with Liz Childress, the supervisor of Pinellas' County's Whedon Island Preserve Cultural and Natural History Center in St. Petersburg. Your host today is myself, Kenny Coogan, and Annie Ellis is on vacation this week. Irene is answering your calls today, and Mr. Bill Grace is working the board. So thank you both for your volunteer. So today we're going to be balancing people, profit, and planet because that's the definition of sustainability. And before we get to our main guest, we have Michelle Northrup on the phone to talk about a sustainable event that is happening this Saturday. Hello, Michelle, and welcome back to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having us on the show again. We are so excited about Saturday. And can you tell us what the name of your event is? Absolutely. It is our 13th annual EcoFest. It is the official Earth Day for the city of Tampa. And where is it located? We are having it again this year at Mosey, which is a fantastic partnership. Very good. And what are some of the events or the vendors that are going to be there? Sure. We have uh, over 115 vendors. We have sustainability experts. We have local artists. We have green vendors. We'll have a gardening workshop to talk a little bit about how you can transform your lawn into um, something more sustainable than grass, like foods and a food forest. So I think that's super exciting. We have live music. It's family and pet friendly. We have a kids zone. Uh, Michelle, do you remember how many vendors you had last year? 115 seems like a lot of yes, a lot of action. Right, it is a lot of action. Um, under 100 last year, I think it was at 98. Okay, so, so we have more vendors this year for sure. And this event is produced by Learning Gate Community School, which is an environmental charter school. And we just hope to inspire attendees to make eco-friendly choices and. Our school is nature-based, so we always want to have a deeper appreciation about the natural world around us. Um, do you know uh, Sissy Stenko? I do. I so saw well. her this weekend at USF Botanical oh Garden. So Sissy used started, to be kind of the garden yeah. educator. And she helped start our garden here at Learning Gate. Yes, very I good. I love her, <laughs> and I hope she's coming this week, too. I think she's in Tampa, so possibly, yes. yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, that's excellent. So people can go to Mosey for the event, and then where can they go online to learn more about the event? Sure. Uh, the event, like you said, is this Saturday from 10 to 3 at Mosey. They can go to learninggate.org slash EcoFest, or they can find on Facebook EcoFest, Earth Day, Tampa Bay. All right. Very easy, and we're looking forward to that event. So thank Wonderful. you, Michelle. 
Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, so our main guest for the show today is Liz Childress. She's the supervisor of Pinellas County's Whedon Island Preserve Cultural and Natural History Center in St. Petersburg. Liz is a lifelong student of Florida's natural environment with special interests in insects, fish, and birds. A second-generation Pinellas native, Liz changed careers from information technology to environmental education. She graduated from the University of Florida and Georgia's Institute of Technology with degrees in journalism and business. And Liz enjoys providing programming to spark enthusiasm for Florida's natural and cultural resources, making her the perfect guest for the Sustainable Living Show. So welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you, Candy. I'm so excited to be here to talk about Whedon. Yes, we're excited to have you. And I think I met you maybe a year ago, six months ago, when I was doing a presentation at your center. And um, we've kind of been working for a long time to have you on this show, haven't we? It's been kind of crazy, yes. And I'm so glad that today is finally our day for yes. us to talk a little bit about Whedon. Yeah. So your center and preserve are great spots for citizens to enjoy and appreciate the need to protect our resources. So can you tell us what is the... Cultural and Natural History Center? It's really, an, it's an awesome place. Um, it is an educational center, and we have a couple of things inside that delight our visitors every time they come in. We have an exhibit gallery that takes you on a journey through our coastal habitats, um, through where our ancient peoples that used to live here were, and a little bit about some of our current culture. And we also have an exhibit that has a thousand-year-old canoe that was found here on site with an accompanying video. It's really neat. The Cultural Center is an awesome oasis in our preserve uh, to learn a little bit more about what you're seeing outside. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that canoe because when I went to your website, uh, it, it was kind of recently discovered, wasn't it? Yes, I yes, it like was. 15 years maybe? Yeah, that's been about right. And, and it took a long time to get all the permits and get it out of the ground and get it preserved and then make the um, exhibit. And it's just amazing. What caused people to notice that there was a canoe there, a prehistoric canoe? That's a great question. One of our local citizens was uh, walking on the mudflats and noticed a very long straight line. And he knew that that wasn't something that's typically found in nature and um, alerted some local archaeologists that there might be something there. And we are so happy that he did uh, because the archaeologists were out there, took a look and were like, yeah, we've got something. So it was a once in a lifetime find for everybody. And we're so proud. Okay, so I'm thinking about archaeologists, and I'm thinking about uh, the Mayan civilizations. Do we have a lot of archaeologists in Florida? We do. Um, we work closely with um, our, we have an archaeologist um, association right on site, the Alliance for Whedon Island Archaeology and Research and Education, AWARE. And then we also work closely with the Florida Public Archaeology Network. And what is really neat about my job is I get to talk to um, renowned professional archaeologists quite a bit and learn so much about what's happening here. And how old do they estimate the canoe to be? I want to talk about the preserve, but this canoe is very interesting. Oh, we're so proud of it. Um, it is the longest saltwater canoe that's ever been found in Florida. Um, the radiocarbon dating, dating says that it's probably about 1,100 years old, which is amazing. And um, the fact that it was preserved in the mangrove peat for so long is, is, is incredible. 
And there's some evidence that it might be used on open waters because of the raised bow, and it might even be an outrigger because there's some interesting holes placed in strategic places on the canoe. And uh, is the canoe on explain and displays it on exhibit, or is it being studied? It's on display. And it's right in a hallway, right off of our lobby. And the whole story of how it was found and how it was preserved and the stories behind it are right there on the wall with the canoe. And we have a little video that you can watch that walks you through um, the discovery process and gives you some history. Now, I believe that the Whedon Island Preserve is on around like 3,100 acres and it's a natural area located on Tampa Bay. And the Mm -hmm. center is in a preserve. So what does that mean? That's a really great question. I'm glad you asked. Um, We are not in a park. We're in a preserve. Now, park is a area, a natural area that's um, designated for people. It's got shelters. It's got barbecue grills. And it's got um, picnic tables. And you can bring your pets. And it's all about people coming outside for recreation. Now, we're on a preserve. So that makes us different, um, along with our sister preserve at Brooker Creek. Um, We are designed for passive recreation And it is mainly maintained for the wildlife and the plants that live there. So as such, we have trails and we do have our center and uh, we don't allow pets. And that's for two reasons, Um, particularly with our dog friends. um, We've got a lot of wildlife out here that might not be the best for them if they discover um, one of our creatures, a coyote or, or something like that. And then also uh, the wildlife biologists have told us that dogs will leave a scent, pets will leave a scent that confuses some of the critters that live in the preserve and causes a little disruption to them. So we have one, that's one of our bigger rules as a preserve is we really don't have pets come in. And most of the preserve is dominated by aquatic and wetland ecosystems. And then on your website, I was reading that it includes miles of mosquito ditches dug in the late 1950s. What is a mosquito ditch? Okay, I'm glad you asked that. Um, In the 1950s and 60s, um, it was thought that um, to get rid of a lot of the mosquitoes that naturally live in our mangrove swamps and our our coastal wetlands, um, if you dug ditches, it could bring seawater in, and that would bring little fish in to eat all the mosquito larvae up. So lots of ditches ditches were dug, and it kind of didn't work. Yeah. (laughs) Oops. I, I could have guessed that. Yeah. And that because the mosquitoes are breeding in fresh water and they don't really, or can they breed, do you know if they can breed in brackish water? Oh, yes, they can. They're we breeding everywhere. Oh, yeah, they're fine. They, that doesn't slow them down. And we have especially giant mosquitoes that like our coastal brackish waters. So it is what it is. They're part of the ecosystem. We don't like them, I mean, on us, but they really are essential for keeping things running healthily. Yeah. So speaking of ecosystems, I, I mentioned that Weedon Island Preserve is a lot of like aquatic areas, wetland areas. So what other types of ecosystems can you find there? Or can you describe what we mean oh, yes. by wetlands? Alrighty. Well, our biggest dominant habitat is what's called a mangrove swamp, which is a wetland that features mangrove trees in it. And um, we have our boardwalks through those. Um, we also have some nice um, upland um, scrub habitat. We've got remnants of that. Um, which is dry, basically old ancient sand dunes that have um, a lot of plants that are adapted for sand and extreme temperatures and a lot of dryness. And then we have some upland um, hammocks where trees grow. Um, We have um, our pine, uh, uh, longleaf pine forests, and then we have some oak hammocks that are in the preserve. And then some of our places, um, 
really should uh, be more open, um, but they're kind of grown up a little bit. We're looking at doing some, um, maybe getting some prescribed burning done or some um, thinning out of some of the vegetations that there. And that's the job of our land managers. And they take a great, they take great care and do a great job of that. Can you talk about uh, your title supervisor and maybe how how is that different than the land managers? Oh, great question. Um, I'm in charge of the center. And that means that um, I'm in charge of the programming, uh, the visitor experience of what happens um, within the center. And our land manager is in charge of the non-public um, areas of the preserve, um, our mangrove swamps, the upland habitats. Um, half the preserve is located um, north of Gandhi Boulevard, which is something I don't think a lot of people know. And there's not public access there. It's again, it's managed for the wildness of it. We also have rangers here on site that are in charge of our public areas where we have our parking lots and our trails and uh, around the center. So we've got kind of a partnership with three county entities that work together to make sure everybody has a wonderful time and our wildlife is kept safe here on the preserve. How often do you do do the land managers do those control burns and why are they burning stuff? Oh gosh, that's another good question. We haven't been able to do one in a very long time. Again, um, our land managers are best qualified to talk about that. Um, we're so close to urban areas um, that it does create a lot of smoke and it can create some ash and that can be unpleasant for some of our, our residents. Uh, so conditions have to be exactly right for one of those to occur. And that is not um, an easy thing to make happen. The reason we want to have those is that keeps um, our our fuel load down and it also keeps the habitat um, open so that creatures that are naturally adapted to our fire adapted communities, which Weedon Island has, um, can move around. Creatures like the gopher tortoises. Very good. So I want to take a Quick break to remind listeners that you are listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Liz Childress. She is the supervisor of Pinellas County's Whedon Island Preserve Cultural and Natural Center in St. Pete. If you want to be part of the conversation, if you want to share a story about when you visited the preserve, give us a call at 813-239-9663, or you can send us an email at dj at wmnf.org, and we will read it on air. So, Liz, you were mentioning that uh, the mangrove swamp has a lot of boardwalks, which is, when I think of your facility, that's like the first thing that I'm thinking about. Those beautiful boardwalks with the mangroves kind of providing some shade, and there's like little crabs crawling around everywhere. And uh, what what percentage of the facility can visitors roam on compared to what's off limits? Oh, well, as far as our center is concerned, um, the whole, our entire center is, is open to the public. And we've got three levels um, where we have our lobby with our, our exhibits and the canoe exhibit. And we also have a movie that you can watch. It's 14 minutes long. It's really cute. And we have some exhibits on our second floor. And then we have a gorgeous um, third floor observatory. Um, as far as outside um, in, the, in the preserve, um, the south part of the preserve has our kayak trails and our hiking trails and our boardwalks. And that is where the public can really get out and enjoy what beauty that this preserve offers to us. Can you rent kayaks or are you bringing your own? You can do both. We have a kayak uh, concessionaire, Ecomersion, and uh, they rent kayaks. and They also provide fantastic guided tours. Uh, they're naturalists and we just love them. And we also have a launching facility at the end of um, where our pier is. And the great news about that is that um, 
our rangers are looking at upgrading that facility to make it a little more user-friendly because I mean, anyone who has paddled here might know that on the weekends we can get a little congested in that area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a popular recreational spot. Oh, yes, it is. So uh, your facility is called Whedon Island, and are you really an island? How did you get that name? Well, that's, that's a, um, an interesting question. I think at one point this area was an island. There's a little neck of land that you come in by our guard shack that I think was underwater at one point. It isn't anymore, but um, it still has remained an island. My theory on that is that when um, Leslie Whedon um, was gifted the island in the 1800s, um, he had to come over from Tampa, and he certainly came over on a boat. So um, maybe that is where the island part stuck. We also know that if we ever have like a high tide, a really high um, spring tide or a king tide and lots and lots of wind from the wrong direction, we can get a little bit of a island effect there at that narrow neck by the guard shack when you come in. So lots of people think about the mangrove kayak tunnels when they think about weed and island. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are some other things? What are some other activities that people can do when they visit? Well, I would love to uh, get everyone to come into the center and see it. Um, we know that we've got lots of folks that like to come, particularly in the summertime, and be on the water and, and look at the um, beautiful mangroves and all the little crabs in there, as you had mentioned. And we really would like to encourage everyone after your paddle, if you're here uh, Thursday through Sunday when we're open, uh, we'd love for you to come by and see us, uh, maybe get a little dose of the air conditioning while you learn a little more about um, Whedon Island. And um, I can't emphasize how interesting our boardwalks and um, trails are. Um, we have one trail, the Boy Scout Trail, that takes you around um, kind of like a little lagoon that we have that's a brackish. And that's a really interesting walk, a little bit off the beaten path away from the boardwalks. So I really encourage everyone to, um, if you're paddling, um, think about the rest of the things that are at Weedon Island CR Center and check out our hiking trails and boardwalks too. Of the different ecosystems, we're talking about the mangrove swamp, the scrubland, the upland. At your facility, are any of those more threatened due to development? Or I know you're on a preserve, but are there outside pressures affecting any of those habitats? Most certainly. Um, as our, you know, our state's gotten quite popular, and it's um, really easy. Our mangrove forests are, are, are under threat. And we have to be really careful to maintain and preserve those as much as we can, as we all know that they provide a lot of frontline um, uh, protection from storms. And our other, our upland areas, generally in Florida, I think only uh, 2% of our longleaf pine habitat, which were those uh, where you have the pine trees and the wiregrass and lots of gopher tortoises, a lot, that, a lot, a lot of that has been taken over by um, farmland and development because it is, it's lovely land and it's well-drained and nice. So um, we do have some rare habitats that are really hard to find. And our tiny bit of scrub is um, very uh, critically endangered. And we have some really neat plants that grow on it. I visited Miami many years ago, and my friend who's a native there, she was saying that, uh, like, Sylvester Stallone bought, you know, like 14 acres on the ocean, and then Mm -hmm. he removed all of the mangroves, and Mm -hmm. then the city of Miami find him like multiple millions of dollars and then he had to reinstall the mangroves. That happens. And <laughs> as we welcome more folks into our state that are from other places, mm-hmm. um, we're just hoping we can educate them to some of the, how, how to be a Floridian. Uh, Cause things are different here. We're so different on our freaky little peninsula here. 
um, that we just have to make sure our new people really know how to how to behave and uh, be able to exist peacefully in this magical place. Yeah, as you know, I, I'm traveling around the state doing my presentations and I talk about May Man Jennings, who was like in the early 1900s, like 1902. She was looking at surveys that were done in the 1800s that said, wow, we have plants and animals that are found nowhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. And then people, when they got here, they said, great, let's change the habitat. Let's drain the swamp. Let's uh, just grow cotton and sugar because that's what we're used to. And then she said, no, if we preserve the land, we um, can get up to 1,000 people visiting Florida a year. Uh-huh. And today we have 1,000 people moving to Florida. It's an awful lot. And it's a, it's a, it's a strain on our resources. And we have to be really responsible on, on how we handle it. And uh, our part here at the center is to do the best we can to educate folks and show them how beautiful it is and it's Florida way and what we can do to protect it and uh, just make this base, uh, make Florida the best place it can be for all of us. Yeah, we got to balance people, profit, and planet. So, exactly. <laughs> what are some of the more interesting finds or happenings on the preserve? You know, if you, let's say like you're short on time and you're, but you want to visit what. What are like the top things to do? Okay, if you're short on time, um, again, when our center's open, do come in and see us and um, take a spin through our gallery. Um, maybe watch our movie. You can actually watch that online. Our movie is online if you go to uh, WheatonIslandPreserve.org or FriendsOfWheatonIsland.org. It gives you 14 minutes of what happened. How did Wheaton Island um, come to be? It talks about the ancient inhabitants and all of um, a lot of really neat facts. It's so well done. Um, so I would recommend doing that. And then um, if you had to go one place, um, I think the most spectacular uh, boardwalk is our tower boardwalk. That's the one that's right off our parking lot. And it takes you up to a 50-foot tower. And you can get a beautiful view of the bay and the preserve. You can see Tampa. You can see St. Pete and see the lines where the mosquito ditches are, <laughs> interestingly. So I recommend doing that. Very good. I want to remind listeners that this is the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Liz Childress. She's the supervisor of Pinellas County's Whedon Island Preserve Cultural and Natural History Center in St. Pete. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. And now we will have a brief message from Mr. Bill Grace. Have you considered your plans for the rapture? On your ascension up to heaven, it'll be too late to make your donation to the Sustainable Living Show and to WMNF Tampa, so do it today. Just go to WMNF.org and click on the tip jar and direct your donation to SUL for the Sustainable Living Show. And now might be a good time to consider donating your car as well. All right, so uh, Liz, we got a couple of emails this is from Elsie in St. Pete. I was kayaking yesterday at Whedon Island. The mangrove tunnels along the kayak trail are amazing. It's like another world. Nice to be able to get into some shade some of the time. I was wondering about the many mounds I saw on the sides. When you get out among the mangroves, it is so peaceful and quiet. I always enjoy the show. Thanks. So, Liz, what um, do you know what she's talking about, mounds on the sides? <laughs> I do. Um, when those uh, mangrove, uh, when, when our mosquito dishes were dug, instead of um, taking the spoil, the, the dirt, and spreading it out, they were just piled up on the side. And um, what that has done is that has created some really weird, unnatural 
plant communities because we've got our mangroves and then right next to our mangroves on those um, um, spoil mounds, uh, you'll see oak trees like in the middle of a mangrove swamp and that's not natural, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> so what is really neat is that our land managers are working to do some restoration. And they've already done some in the north part of the preserve uh, where they've leveled out these um, the mosquito ditches and those uh, banks so that the natural water flow can be restored and uh, things can kind of get back to normal. And there are plans to do the south side. Um, I don't know exactly when. It's going to be several years, but I know that they would like to do that and make things a little more natural than what they are right now because as far as plant communities are concerned, it's a freak show. All right, so let's talk about that. So what are some of the rarer native or endemic plants that people can see when they visit? Well, what is, um, one of the neat things to see is our uh, we've got several species of oaks in um, the preserve, which isn't unusual in and of itself. We've got um, the sand live oaks, regular live oaks, and some Chapman's oaks. And we also have um, running oaks, which are my favorite. Those are little bitty oaks, and you don't even realize that they're a tree that only get a couple feet tall. And we have those on preserve. And I remember looking down and seeing this like little oak shoot with an acorn on it and I thought it was kind of weird and they asked about it and they're like oh no that's the full-grown tree it just stays low that's one of my favorites what habitat are they growing in um they grow in our upland habitat and do you do we know why they're so short um I to be honest I'm not exactly sure the mechanisms but I think it has something to do with the quality of the soil soil that they grow in that tends to make Mm -hmm. things small and what are some other plants that people can see Oh, gosh, we've got a lot of really interesting wildflowers. Um, right now, our salt palmetto, of all things, is blooming. And if you are into little bees and pollinators, <laughs> butterflies, oh, my gosh, that's the best thing in the entire world. Right by the center is just crawling with life. And last year, we had um, the first sighting ever in the state of a little butterfly called a Western Pigby Blue, and that was found on preserve here at Weedon Island, right outside the center on a palmetto blossom. And then, as summer progresses, our dotted horseman's going to bloom. You can see that from the parking lot. And again, that's just really fun to look at. Um, they're maybe about three feet tall, and they're really complicated-looking blossoms, really pretty with little spots, and they go all over the preserve. And I just love looking at them. And again, they get really good pollinators, too. Do you know who found that butterfly? Yes, I do. And it, it was it was me. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, do you report it to a butterfly society or you keep that information to yourself oh gosh no um i put it on iNaturalist, which is an app i bet Mm -hmm. lots of folks in the audience are familiar with it um because i thought it was really awesome i thought it was a a, another kind of a a butterfly that's unusual and i got a um an email several months later uh from some butterfly experts saying we think you found the first one would you mind if we put your picture in our paper and documented this. And I said, absolutely, put it in there. And I'm in the paper on the Western Pygmy Blue. And um, and I'm, embarrassingly, my first published photograph was this incredibly blurry iPhone picture. So, yeah, okay, <laughs> I got that. So, so what do you mean um, you found the first one, the first one at the, at the preserve? In the in the state of Florida. In the state. Nobody knew these little butterflies were in the state. They're common in California and places west of us, even in Louisiana and Texas. But no one knew they were in Florida until last year. And we happened to find the very first one. Well, that's why people should visit your facility. Absolutely. There's all kinds of neat things going on here. All right. I just want to go back one second. We just got uh, another uh, text message. They said, what is the name of that small oak? Oh, it's a running oak. A running oak. 
Yes. All right. Very good. And um, so we're talking about butterflies and rare plants. So what are, and I think you mentioned like some megafauna. So what are some of the animals that we can find at the preserve? Oh, yes. Yes. Our, our megafauna. Um, we have raccoons, of course. Um, and something that I had learned, yeah, I'm a lifelong Floridian, and I always thought if raccoons were out in the day, it was bad news. Um, they might be sick, but they they come out in the day all the time. And you'll get to see lots of raccoons. Um, and we have coyotes. We don't necessarily see them all the time, but we know they're there because they leave signs and they're just part of the features now. Um, one of our most popular creatures that we have here, of course, are gopher tortoises. Who doesn't love them? Um, they have the best little faces and they walk around um, uh, in a lot of the mode areas and along the side of the road so you can see them in the afternoon. And we do ask everyone to be really careful in our parking lot. And we have kind of stopped everyone from parking on the side of the road because it's really easy to run over gopher tortoises, especially the little babies. So we got to be really careful of them. They're so fun to see. I was going to ask you how big a gopher tortoise can get, but let's do the opposite. How small is a baby gopher tortoise? Um, it is about the size of your fist. They're little when they come out, and they look like little pine cones. And... Um, Oh, they're so cute. Do you know how many are in a clutch? To be honest, I don't. Um, I don't think the clutches are terribly large. Um, The mother will often lay them in the apron or the area that's right outside the burrow or nearby. Mm -hmm. And um, so we have to be really careful with our little guys when they hatch to give them the best possible chance at becoming adults. Are there... uh, state or federal laws that prevent people from doing things to the gopher tortoises? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, They are a threatened species, and as such, you're not allowed to pick them up or get close to them or change their behavior in any way. And um, our visitors are really good about that. And um, if anyone forgets, there's certainly rangers around to kind of help us remember to give these guys the the distance and respect that they deserve. If you want to take a picture and they start moving around or moving away, that means you're a little too close and you need to back away. And why are gopher tortoises important to the ecosystem? They're a keystone species. That's a great question, um, Kenny. They're so important. They dig uh, very long, relatively deep burrows. And if there is ever a fire, all of the animals that live in that habitat know, go in the gopher tortoise hole. So you get um, birds and frogs and snakes. Everybody piles in there if we do have one of those fires. Um, There's also some specialist animals that live in the gopher tortoise burrow. There's a a gopher frog that is able to stay away from water and stay moist inside these um, burrows. And there's even a dung beetle that specializes in eating the gopher tortoises on leavings that lives in the burrow with the tortoise. There's like 360 species that depend on the tortoises. And uh, do you have the eastern indigo snake on your preserve? Well, I think at one point, yes. I don't think one has been seen recently. We hear every now and again reports of them, but we haven't had any documented any time in the very in the recent past. Unfortunately, they're magnificent. And do your rangers? Do you have uh, wildlife biologists who are keeping population counts for any of the animals? Um, at times, there are surveys that are done, um, and our land manager is in charge of those. Um, one of the um, interesting surveys that's done is about the Florida golden aster, and we have a couple of patches of that that are being monitored as a part of a project. 
um, to see if those endangered flowers and plants um, can get a foothold in some of our habitats. So there is some monitoring going on. We do have researchers that come by from time to time to look at uh, special aspects of the preserve, which is really wonderful. And um, the golden aster is native to definitely Florida. Yes. And maybe some other states. No, it's it's um, endemic to Florida. It's only found in Florida in special habitats that are the upland, uh, well-drained, like the ridges, the old sand dunes, and um, a lot of efforts being put forth to uh, make sure those uh, species are being uh, monitored and, and saved to the best of our ability. I think Bach Tower Gardens works extensively with that, and so does Archbold. Do you know if, do people grow that in their backyards or not really? Not really. Um, I think that's a pretty specialized propagation um, type of a thing. But we do have other golden aster species that you can certainly get at our native plant nurseries. So uh, I'm, I'm interested in the population counts for animals, plants. So when we're talking about the coyotes, uh, I would imagine the visitors do not want to encounter a coyote when right. they're walking. <laughs> but you said usually you don't see them. I mean, I, I assume you're seeing their tracks or their scat. Um, do you know, or do, do, are we imagining that the coyotes are kind of like being pushed into the preserve by development or do we have a study population of coyotes? We really don't. I don't know if there's any formal studies going on, um, but coyotes are everywhere in Pinellas County and it's been quite natural that they would find their way here. Um, they're very adaptable and they've learned what's interesting about coyotes is if, um, I think basically they're daytime animals. But when they get in urban and urbanized habitats, they learn to come out at night so they can stay hidden and do their thing at night. And they're here to stay. They've set up territories and there's really little we can do about them except just enjoy their comings and goings. And uh, with so much water, fresh water, brackish water, Mm -hmm. salt water, I imagine you have a pretty good bird life. We do. Um, That's uh, one of the neat things that happens here is... um, particularly in our, our brackish and salt water, is we will get feeding aggregations of egrets, like hundreds of them will decide that one part of the mangrove swamp is just amazingly tasty at one time, and they'll get in there, and it's spectacular to see. Sometimes you can see them when you're kayaking. I've seen them from the tower. Um, I've been walking on the boardwalk, and I've heard um, it, it sounds like hogs. or Something is snorting, and I look closer, and I see all of this white and all this activity, and I look again, and it's the herons just in one little spot, uh, enjoying all kinds of little fish and crustaceans and having a big feeding party. And do we have like fiddler crabs or what do we call them? The mangrove crabs? We do. Um, we have at least one species of fiddler crab that you can see from the boardwalks. Um, our mangrove crabs are a specialist crab that live up the mangrove trees. And lots of folks think those are spiders. And they're yes. not. <laughs> yeah, they really do look, look like spiders. They're really interesting little animals. Um they're one of the few crabs that can walk forwards instead of uh, side, most of our crabs mm-hmm. go sideways. But these little guys can walk forwards, and they're excellent at clinging onto those mangroves for their dear lives. I didn't think they were spiders, but I was caught off guard when I looked at eye level and all these little crabs are moving around me. <laughs> they're really, really neat. Um, we did a program. We had a researcher that um, was working with mangrove crabs come in and do a program on us, and she taught us all about them and what they do and how marvelously adapted they are for the habitat. But it is a little unsettling when right by your face you look to a branch and there they are. Yes. <laughs> but they're like, how big? A quarter size? Maybe? Yeah, maybe a little bit bigger. They're little. Yeah. 
and they they can't they really can't hurt you. But they're so. Do you can you only find them on mangroves? You're not going to go to the beach and find them. No, and you know when I was little, I don't ever remember seeing them in mangroves. So I don't know when they first came here, or if I just didn't notice. I usually notice things like that. It could be as we've gotten a little bit warmer, they've come further north. Um, but that's something I really want to look into and understand that a little bit better. I think I saw them at the Selby Marine Gar- Gardens mm-hmm. in uh, Sarasota too. Yep. All right, let's remind listeners that this is the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is Liz Childress. She's the supervisor of Pinellas County's Whedon Island Preserve Cultural and Natural History Center in St. Pete. If you want to be part of the conversation or you want to share a sighting that you saw at the preserve, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. And we do have an email from uh, Tommy Kilgore. He said, I found the most beautiful mangrove rat snake at the park. It was the prettiest snake I have seen in the wild. And we do have, we have these um, gorgeous um, salt marsh um, snakes that live in our mangrove roots. And um, they come in a beautiful orange morph. And then we've also, um, the other day, one of the um, eco-immersion kayak folks showed us a picture of one she found in a gray morph with some stripes on it. Um, they're really amazing animals, and they specialize in eating uh, the crabs and um, anything else they can get their little water snake uh, mouths around. That's a really special thing when you spot one of those. You, uh, Liz, you have another email from Christopher Hunter, and he writes, Can you ask Liz about the saying, That's a Whedon or Whedon Wonder? The staff at Whedon Island use those phrases quite often, and I was wondering how they originated. That was just, um, that's a really great question. And that's us just kind of being amazed and happy and and our own wonder (laughs) at the fact that we're able to be um, at a place as awesome as Whedon Island and work at our awesome center. So that's our Whedon wonder. Very good. All right. So we're talking about kayaking and uh, what are some other activities that, can you go fishing there? You can fish on our pier. And I understand the fishing is quite good there. Um, it's kind of tempting to take your gear out on the boardwalks or out to lookout point, but that is not allowed. And it's not a terribly good idea with um, everybody walking around uh, with the fishing equipment and the ability. It's easy to get entangled there. So fishing is allowed on our pier, which is at the very end of Wheaton Drive, uh, but not any place else. And is, it's pretty good. is your 3,000 plus acres, does that mean land or does that include water? Um, that includes uh, about 400, I think it's 400 feet um, or 400 yards off of our, our uh, off of the uh, the shoreline of the islands and of the preserve. So it includes land and a little bit of the water areas, and certainly the water areas that are internal, like the little lagoons and ponds we have. And because you're you're in a preserve, people are allowed <laughs> to still fish, though. Just at our dock. Okay. That's a great question, though. That was something that kind of baffled me at, at first about. <laughs> Well, okay, but just on the, the pier, that's allowed. Gotcha. And what are some other activities people should be doing? I mean, hiking, walking mm-hmm. the board, walk, oh, yeah, anything else? Um, yeah, if you're a bird watcher or if you're into any kind of plant looking or um, in, in particular checking out our, our, our native flowers and plants, um, if you're into bees and stuff, um, that's a fun activity. So there's lots of nature watching to be done. Um, in between hiking and kayaking and visiting our center. 
Now, we alluded to that I was a guest speaker at your facility many months yes. ago. So what are um, some other programs or what kind of programs do you offer? Um, that's a great question. Um, we do programs on um, natural Florida, on creatures and wildlife. Again, I'm a naturalist by um, by trade, and um, that is a I'm very interested in that, so it's wonderful to offer those things. And we also have uh, programming with our archaeology partners, um, which is great. That is, again, that's so Whedon. Um, one of the, during Florida Archaeology Month in uh, March, we did a wing kayak experience where our guests got to go on the kayaks with Ecomersion and our archaeologists, and they went to an active archaeology site. So it's always a good idea to monitor our website for upcoming programs. Again, as we're ramping up um, programming from just pretty much being online uh, during COVID, um, we're starting to ramp up our in-person programming and hikes. So keep an eye on those. We do have wonderful hikes on the weekends too. I know that somewhere in the state of Florida, people go kayaking maybe at nighttime and there's like bioluminescence. Mm -hmm. Does that happen at your facility? And first, yeah, does that happen at your facility? As far as I know, it doesn't. I don't want to say that it never does, um, but as far as I know, I guess the biggest concentration of that is up at um, Safety Harbor in Tampa Bay. Okay. Uh, but I can't really answer that question, yes or no. Um, our preserve is open from 7 a.m. and it closes at sunset. Uh, we have not put together a night paddle, but maybe that's something that we should look at offering. So that's a great idea. It says that the bioluminescence occurs through a chemical reaction that produces light energy within an organism's body. So are we okay with glow-in-the-dark water? <laughs> yes, and that, isn't that, that sounds so weird because when you say glow-in-the-dark water, it sounds really like industrial wasting. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, it really is. It's some diatoms doing their diatom things. It's natural and beautiful and amazing if you can see it. And it's, is it always like beautiful blue kind of? The ones that I've seen have been that beautiful maybe. blue, yeah. Yeah. All right, so what are some, um, so you have classes, you're open year-round, and are the <laughs> programs or the talks or the field trips, are they always on the weekends? Um, not necessarily. Um, most of our public programs are sometime during um, Thursday and, and Sunday. Um, our, our hikes, we do guided hikes just about every weekend. Um, those are certainly on Saturday, um, but we... Um, most of our public programs are when the center's open, but we do have, we do offer other programs at other times um, when we are doing field trips and summer camps inside the center. So it's not necessarily limited to when we're open, but if there's some um, public, if there's programs available, you'll see them on our website. And the facility is open Thursday through Sunday? Yes. Thursday through Saturday from 9 until 4, and then Sunday from 11 until 4. All right, so that's four days. And what days are you there? And what about the park rangers? Are they, are they there seven days a week, people overlapping schedules? Yes, absolutely. Yes, we have park rangers seven days a week. And then we also staff the facility seven days a week so that we are available for um, field trips from schools and summer camps and other things like that. And there's lots that has to happen to run a center. So um, we do that when we're not open to the public and all that other good stuff. Do you know what a typical day for a park ranger is? Are they picking up after people? Are they not doing controlled burns, but are they changing the landscape? Like, 
what they do yeah again most of the, most of the time they they do patrol our trails and they are very focused on public safety and making sure everyone's having a good time and and doing what they need to do our, our preserves really popular so we have to make sure we stay on the trail and all that good stuff and uh they keep our facilities clean and um they do a little bit of trail maintenance as they can and uh, they just generally keep things kind of nice and running for us as park visitors so you mentioned that uh, very old canoe. Can you talk about the people who used to live there many, many years ago? There have been uh, people living in the area, I think for about, well, I want to say 10,000 years. It's been a long, long time. And uh, there have been many cultures that have uh, been coming on over the, um, over the centuries along the Gulf Coast of Florida and Georgia and Alabama. And uh, one of the more significant ones was named the Whedon Island culture. And that was, I guess, about mm, a thousand to maybe uh, um, about maybe about a, a thousand years or so ago. And um, they that particular culture uh, was able to um, develop really intricate pottery. And it occurred not just from Whedon Island, but up through Alabama. And um, they... Um, uh, were discovered, that culture was discovered in the 30s by a Smithsonian Institute researcher who was uh, sent some artifacts by someone that was going to develop the preserve. And this, the developer planted some artifacts here at Wheaton. And when the researcher came down, he saw, these are planted, but wait a minute, those aren't, and made the discovery of the amazing ancient civilizations that we had here. Wow. And the do we think they were like endemic to that part of the bay? Yes, we certainly have had um, different cultures in that part of the bay that have been um, there, been here for a very long time. Um, we can see that their earthenworks, their mounds, middens, and uh, maybe even some berms that were built um, to maybe help catch fish. There's lots of research that's ongoing right now to understand how people really lived. So it's very exciting. Very cool. You got another uh, email, Liz. It's from Joe P Porter. He says, hi, great interview. A question. Are the mangrove islands that are near the Gandhi Bridge, just to the north, northeast of the Gateway Cafe, part of the preserve? I believe that they are. Um, we have um, right to the, um, from the Gandhi um, up to the um, airport, the mangrove fringe that's along the um, Tampa Bay shore is part of the preserve. Do you have any, so the park rangers are going around, they're monitoring stuff. Do you have any uh, mm -hmm. citizen scientist projects that people can partake in? Um, occasionally we'll do call, um, some cleanups. Uh, our volunteer organization at, with Pinellas County um, helps people find some opportunities with that. Um, and uh, so we're always looking for folks to help with that. And we're also really eager to have people come into the center and help us be center guides or docents. That's really a lot of fun to do um, because it's like welcoming people into the like best party in the entire world. They're so excited to see the center and so excited to see how neat it is inside because lots of us, and me included, for a long time, I didn't realize how cool the center was inside with all the neat things that we have. And uh, how do people get involved in being a volunteer docent? Are, are there the training involved? Um, there's a little bit of training. Um, we like for everyone um, on the Pinellas County website, we have a Be a Volunteer link. And if you say that you'd like to work with Wheaton Island, you can certainly do that. 
and they can help get you on board. Or if you can come directly to us and email us at um, weedenisland.org, um, we've got our email link on our website. Um, we'd love to talk to you, our volunteer coordinators, always interviewing folks, and we'd love for you to join the team. We just had a volunteer celebration yesterday, and it was just so much fun to get everybody together and kind of just talk about our experiences. And can you say your website or the link that they should be visiting? Yes, visit the WeedonIslandPreserve.org website. And that will give you links to uh, our programming, uh, volunteer opportunities, and just about everything you'd like to learn about the preserve. Do you want to give a special shout out for like an event or programming that's happening in the next uh, maybe month, month and a half? Okay, well, we are starting our, our summer camps, and that's a really special thing for us um, because this is the first time since um, 2020 we've been able to uh, do those. And uh, information on registering is on our website, and we have time traveler camps, saltwater fishing camps, and some herpetology camps that are really, really popular. So take a look at those right now. So we're excited about that. So, so that's for kids. Do you have anything for, is it anything for adults? Oh, yes, yes. Um, our weeding, our walkabout hikes are happening uh, just about every Saturday. And those are really good introductory hikes for everybody of all ages to come on a Saturday morning and learn a little bit about um, the preserved natural history, learn about the cultural, like recent cultural, and then our ancient cultural habitats. Those are great. We also offer photography hikes and wading bird hikes on Saturdays. Um, well, and also those will happen on other days. It kind of depends on the tide. We've discovered that during low tide, you can get better pictures of birds and you can see more birds when we have a really good low tide. So we've been looking at coordinating those with our tides. Do you think that the birding season is year round because we're Florida or do we, I know we, of course, we're getting migratory birds in the winter, mm-hmm. but um, is there any special season? Well, um, we're pretty year round here. Um, we get our wading birds at all, all times of the year. Uh, winter might be a little more interesting in that we get our white pelicans. We had them all over Boy Scout Lake um, this winter. It was spectacular. Our little land birds are moving through right now. Um, but all the way throughout the year, we've got lots of good stuff. And we have some specialties like the eastern towhee and common ground doves. Um, you don't necessarily see those in other parts of the county, but we're carpeted with those eastern towhees. They're so cute. Come out and see them. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Liz, for talking about the preserve. We really appreciate it. And we encourage the listeners to visit uh, your website and learn more. All righty. All right. Thank you, Liz. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. So uh, this morning I listened to Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, and it's always a sad it's always a sad episode. Last, week, last night's episode was about farm workers. And they were talking about Florida farmers and specifically Florida tomato farmers. And back in 2005, the Fair Food Program was established and it encouraged companies to pay one penny a pound more for Florida tomatoes to help eliminate the sexual assault, forced labor, and violence of farm workers. They say that by harnessing the power of consumer demand, the Fair Food Program gives farm workers a meaningful voice in the decision that affects their lives and prevents the long-standing abuses that have been plagued agriculture for generations. So, uh, like in 2008, Subway signed on. In 2007, McDonald's signed on. So that means when they buy tomatoes from Florida, 
they're going to only buy it from the fair food program. So these companies are literally only buying fair food tomatoes. They're one penny a pound more. And this is a great thing because we want the farmers to live uh, humane lives and get humane wages. So Bonaparte, Bon Appetit, Management Company, Burger King, Chipotle, The Fresh Market, McDonald's, Subway, Trader Joe's, Walmart, and Whole Foods have all signed on to it. But sadly, there are three companies that who refuse to sign on to it. And those companies are Wendy's, Kroger, and Publix. So those three companies are not willing to pay one penny a pound more for the Florida tomatoes. And if you're buying tomatoes, just keep that in mind because it's very disheartening that those companies that make all that money are not willing to do that. All right, but we want to thank Liz uh, Childress. She's the supervisor of Pinellas County's Weed and Island Preserve Cultural and Natural History Center in St. Pete. She was wonderful. I encourage you to visit that center. And, of course, we want to thank Irene for answering your calls today and Mr. Bill Grace for working the boards. If you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please go to WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar and directing your donations to the Sustainable Living Show. Stay tuned. In the next hour, you will hear WMNF Tampa's Monday Music with Fleet. If you want to hear more public interest programming, switch over to WMNF's HD3 channel, The Source, and listen to today's Tom Hartman Show Live. Make sure to tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show. We will be talking about organically growing flowers for the floral business. And as somebody who grows carnivorous plants, that are some of which are native to Florida, historically people would cut these pitcher plants, put them in Florida space. And of course, if you're doing that to wildflowers, the carnivorous plants need their leaves to eat. So when you cut off their trapping mechanisms, they cannot eat, and then therefore they don't thrive. So we want to be encouraging uh, organic and wholesome and humane treatment of flowers for the floral business because those flowers only uh, live for a short amount of time. And you can follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living WMNF, to stay in the loop. We're looking forward to next week. We're going to be talking about growing flowers. And to listen to past shows, just go to Listen On Demand on WMNF.org. I'm Kenny Coogan, and remember, if you're looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Goodbye. You're listening to WMNF Tampa.